Hello, everyone, and it's a, a joy to have you join us for um, BF2 Camp. Such a privilege to be speaking to all of you out there. I don't know what time it is at your part of the world, but um, it's, it's a joy to connect even in these tough COVID-19 times. We thank the Lord for the opportunity that he gives us to still connect somehow online. What a blessing it is. And I just want to say a big thank you to the entire team of leadership at uh, BF2 for putting this together. What a joy for me to be sharing God's word with us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give for us to speak your words. Thank you because we are unworthy vessels. We are broken instruments. But what a joy it is for you to install within us um, treasures of your word that you give unworthy broken instruments. So remind us, O oh God, of this truth once again, that we may be able to be blessed and to exalt your name once more. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just to share a few thoughts from... Um, Paul's letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2. And I'll be splitting it up into three parts. The first part is um, the, resting, um, the resting place of faith. That should be verse 1 to verse 5. The secret and hidden wisdom of God. That's verse 6 to verse 9. And um, what God has revealed and what we have received. That's verse 10 through 13. So I'll read through it and then I'll go part by part just sharing that around and hope you could catch something out of it. And so Paul writes and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's our first section. So Paul writes to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, of course, as we know, were a mixed audience. They had some Greeks in there. They had some Jews in there. And Paul had founded this church at Corinth and had gone ahead to um, preach elsewhere. And so he's writing this letter to them, a pastoral letter. It's, it's a father writing to his children. And he says, I came to you, brothers. I didn't come with a testimony of God with lofty speech of human wisdom. The idea here is that the Corinthians were trapped. They were um, amazed. They were in awe of, um, they, they were in awe of loftiness and, and, and high-sounding speech, like the rhetoric where someone speaks English and you go like, wow. This guy can really flow. He, he has it all together. And there were a, a, a couple of Greeks who loved that so, so, so sort of thing. But Paul says, I, di I didn't come at you like that. I came in weakness and in, and in fear. I came with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with possible words of human wisdom. And the idea here is many times, even in the ministry, we have this pressure to deny our weaknesses. And yet, our weaknesses are not the problem. The dishonesty about our weaknesses is the problem. And so Paul says, I, I came with much trembling. And, and, and he said that I did this, that your, rest may, your, your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the, in, in the power of God. Now, of course, we could grapple with what that means for us today. But the idea here is all of us have faith in something. All of us have our faith rested upon something. And for many of you out there, it's, it's probably your, your, your achievements. Maybe you're a student and you're very 
academic about your life. Maybe you're a pretty girl. Uh, you, you, you post all kinds of pictures on your socials and you have a lot of likes. Everybody must have their faith resting in something. Paul says that your faith will rest in the power of God. And the power of God there, the, the, the power of the spirit isn't that maybe what we see today, you know, miracles and things. The, the biggest miracle that the Holy Spirit does in us is to transform our wicked hearts into the true heart of God, into, into, into a heart that is softened to God's word. So that's the first bit of it. And he said um, that your faith will rest in the power of God. That your faith will rest in who Christ is. That your faith will rest not in Christ as a means to some end. Because everybody loves a Christ who gives them something. But do you love Christ for Christ's sake? Or you love Christ for something else's sake? Does your faith rest in him? Or your faith sees him as a means to an end? That's, 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 that's the first bit of it. It says, I don't want to know anything about you apart from Christ and him crucified. It's very easy to replace the gospel with something else. There are many good things out there, but they are not the gospel. You see, they are not the gospel. The gospel is that God has made a plan for us to be reconciled to him. And whatever we add on to that is an extra. But Christ and him crucified, as we think about BF2, as we think about everything we've been in the last 10 years, have we fronted the message of Christ? Or, or we have conflated the gospel for something else. Have we lost the gospel somewhere along the way? He says, Christ and him crucified, that your faith will not rest in the human wisdom, but in the power of God. Verse 6 says, yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of, of, of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is quite big, but let me put it this way. Today, there is a difference between a preacher who makes the story of God about you, who puts you at the throne of your life, and God as a servant of your errand. And then there is a preacher who gives you God at the center, who is writing his story, who is bringing to us the message of the cross through the death and burial of his son, Jesus Christ. And God in his wisdom wires our story into his grand story. You see? And so he says we do impart a wisdom. Of course, God is not anti-wisdom. You see? God is not anti-wisdom. God is wisdom himself. But this wisdom is not available to everybody because according to what they think, they think they are the rulers of this world. Yet there is the actual ruler. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, although not a wisdom of this age, which they didn't know, and they are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory, you see. In other words, when we focus on building our own empires and trying to get God to participate in that project, we are on the wrong, <laughs> we are climbing the, 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 the wrong wall using the wrong ladder, you see. God is God all by himself. 
and God is sovereign. And God is working out a purpose and a plan, and he has this wisdom that has been hidden for many years. And that wisdom, Paul says in verse 9, um, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, no the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, right through the Old Testament up to until this time, God, the, the, the whole Bible is a story of God working through human history to deliver the promise of a savior. All right? right from the Old Testament, all the prophets pointed to Christ. Christ is coming. There is, a, there is a servant coming. Isaiah called him the suffering servant. Isaiah called him, you know, unto us as a, you know, as, um, uh, as, as a son. No, wait. Um, a child is born and the son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So Isaiah working through human history is... You know, I mean, God working through human history is at, 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 at a place where he's about to bring the promise of a savior and Christ comes. Christ is the manifestation. Christ is the complete wisdom of God revealed to us, you see. And, and that's, that's, that's the wisdom that Paul is mentioning here, that we impart a secret and hidden wisdom that God has been at work from the very beginning. God tells Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. What a blessing it is that all our individual stories as human beings are being wired, are being weaved into God's grand story. And so Paul says these things God has revealed to us through his spirit. And he says the spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. For who knows a person's thought ex except the spirit of that person who is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So these things have been hidden. And so for the next part, we will talk about something very um, ironic here. We have, as believers, received the ability to perceive something utterly eternal in the midst of so much vanity and triviality. Too much is temporal, you see. I mean, just think about how many hashtags have been trending since January. There's a point when we had 21 days trending. That's gone. When we had all, all kinds of hashtags, you know, the, the, the world is fading away. Things are passing. Things come at us and they go away. You know, at, at some point, iPhone 5 was the in thing. And now we're at iPhone 11 something. See? So the point is, we as human beings are always searching for something eternal, something constant, something we can plug our lives into, but we can't find it in the, in, in the temporal. So the dilemma is we human beings are trying to find something eternal by looking to things which are temporal, which is a very sad thing. So God, the self-revealing God, says he has no eye has seen what he's about to do, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And we have a promise in there for every one of you uh, listening to this that if you set your heart to seek God, you will find him. That's a promise. And he says these things God has revealed. So there is sort of like a contrast. On one hand, God has hidden these things from every heart, every mind, every, um, every, every eye. But on the other hand, God has revealed. So he says the spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. Um, and we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that you may understand the things freely given to us by God. 
ever been there and you pray, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. And I wonder, what do you expect? In other words, if God came, if after you've prayed that God came, would you recognize him? Or it's possible that you're expecting a God to show up in, I don't know, in a very majestic way, in a very, uh, I, I won't say the name, but in a very, you know, glamorous way. And the idea is, for us to know God, God has first of all got to reveal himself to us. The God of the Bible is the self-revealing God. We cannot know God as we want to know him. We know God as he has revealed himself to us. Uh, the God of the Bible is self-revealing. He, he does not, you, you know, you, you, you can't say, well, uh, Rachel, I like to think of you as a mathematician. I like to think of you as, as an astronaut. I like to think of you as somebody who has... Um, who loves cats and dogs and animals. And she'll go like, no, that's just not me. And you're like, no, 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 I, I don't care what you think about yourself. I just want to think of you this way. No, there's a reason to be honored. You see, we cannot know God as we want to know him. We know God as he has revealed himself to us. And Paul here is telling us that for us to know him, we have got to open up our hearts to his spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the faculties to receive the things of God. In other words, without the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, our hearts, our souls, our minds would not be able to perceive or receive anything from God. That even if God showed up, we would not know him. You see, like Jacob waking up and saying, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. You see, and Paul says, we have received not what is in the world, but the Spirit of God that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. And he says, we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting the spiritual truth with the things which are spiritual. So the point here is, there are many ideas about God out there. I don't know that you've had the example of someone who says there are many roads to God. You know, you could use the way of Islam and get to God. You could use the way of Buddhism and get to God. You know, God is all one. God is up on, it's like God is up on a mountain and we all work at it and trying to, you know, be our best that we can be so that we can reach him. Now, in the Bible, the Bible utterly shatters that analogy and it says the God, the true God who is, the true God who reveals himself is not up on a mountain. The true God who is became a man and he came down. The Bible says he, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in other words, when you follow that analogy and you try to work your own way to God through your own goodness, through your own works, righteousness, through your own attendance of church without coming, you will not meet him. The God who is has come down, and that is grace. That's what we call grace. That even as we look forward to growing together in BF2, we need to remember the gospel story that God became a man, took on flesh, and died on the cross to pay the price we could never pay. As we think about our friendships, as we think about what it means to be friends forever, realize that the greatest friendship, the triune God, God the Father loving the Son through his Spirit eternally, has become a man to invite us to participate in that friendship. When we make mistakes, when we error, when we hurt our friends, somebody has got to pay the cost of that hurt. 
it's either you absorb the cost of that hurt or you transfer it back to the person who, who hurt you. But God on the cross says, I pay the price for reconciling you to myself. And through me, through knowing me, you can come to know me. I reveal myself. I pay the cost for your sins. And he says in verse 14, the natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. Everybody wants to perform. Everybody wants to work hard and feel like they've earned God's forgiveness. But you see, if you work hard to earn God's forgiveness, that's not grace, that's a wage. But who of us can? Who of us can? None of us can. Why? Because you've had milk before. If, even if you had 20 liters of milk and you put there a pinch of salt, it does, it's, it's not like that milk gets spoiled just in the piece where you've put the, the, the salt. The whole can goes wrong. The, 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 the whole 20 goes south. I mean, think about life. You are a good person, probably, according to the, to the world. You've built hospitals. You've, you know, participated in all kinds of philanthropic, you know, committees. Then one day you're walking around and then you're driving and then you knock someone dead. People will forget all the 100 good things you've done for the one bad thing you've done. Because sin weighs heavy. We need somebody to pay the price. I mean, think about it. You, you've, you, you've, how much money could you pay your wife to say, I'm sorry, love, I cheated on you, but here is 20M. Go and deal with it. She, she would feel insulted. So you insult God by trying to earn your salvation. You insult God by refusing to take on the free gift of grace that he gives us. And so he says, that man cannot understand them. So the point is, salvation is all of God. God picks us up from the Mary clay. God reaches us out, uh, reaches out to us and says, I myself will pay the price for your separation from me. And friends, as we think about these words, may the Lord help us to look at what's eternal, to go beyond the temporal things. Young people have a unique temptation to be tempted with triviality. We are vulnerable to be trivial about the things of God. We talk about God and bad black in the same sentence. As, as, as if it's just, it's, it's another thing that we talk about. But for the, for, for, for the believer who has come to the saving knowledge of God's grace, you will make that distinction. And as you watch this, I hope you contemplate on what it means for you to be a friend of God, even as we celebrate BF, uh, B, B, BF2 camp, as we think about the theme, contemplate on what it means to be a friend of God and the price that was paid for you to be reconciled. And if you are feeling lost, if you're feeling like God is out there, he's for the good guys, God is for the... No, um, Christ walks with the sinners ate with them, and dies for them. And you too can make that commitment and say, Christ, I, I need you. I need you in my life. I, I, I need you to help me get reconciled to God. I don't just want something from you. I'm tired of getting things from you. I actually want you. And if you pray that prayer, I'm very sure God himself will reach out to you. And so may God bless you as you think about these words. And may he keep you even as we celebrate BF2 camp.